Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher. Our spit take provocateur over here, Benny Horowitz. He's with me too. What's up, dude? How's it going? I'm a, you know, I, I got to say, I'm a pro. One thing that the gap teeth gives you an advantage of in life yeah. is spitting. I'm a great spitter. I used to smoke, drink orange juice, got these big gap teeth. I could, I can send one 20 feet. And then now with the kids and stuff, this can be a sprinkler. You know, you get into the pool and you go, yeah, just go round and round directions. I'm like a built built in spectacle for children. That's perfect. Was there ever a situation? Because if I had a gap, in my teeth uh, i just hold the cigarette in there and you're just like the coolest guy in the world just like standing there this is how i made my original chops in the world denny as yeah. a kid was i would do anything in front of older people and one of the things i did have for me was sticking things in my teeth but normally the thing that would impress people is i'd put like change in there yeah and i can get like a lot two dimes like a quarter and a dime, one nickel, two pennies might be pushing it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I would do stuff like that all the time. I love it. Toothpicks right here, doing that scene from the Breakfast Club. Look, I'm a walrus, <laughs> you know? So, oh man. I've made my, this is how I made my cut in the world, Denny. That's right. That's how you made your cut. Well, what's new with you, dude? How's the past week been for you? You're out of the COVID clear. You're living life again. I'm out of it. You know, it's got these weird lingering effects. And uh, I got to say, I think in like 10 or 20 years, they're probably not going to let people get this disease. I hope not. I think it's really messing people up. Mm. This whole idea of like, oh, just get it. You'll be fine. Then you won't get it anymore or it won't be as bad. Eh, I have a weird feeling in like 10 years. They're going to be like, hey, guys, uh, we're not going to let you get this at all anymore because... This is worse than you think. I have a feeling that day is coming. But for now, we keep on trucking, you know? Oh, man. Get <laughs> some salt bath. Get some steam in there. Eat some good food. We got like... See, that's how we deal with stuff like this in my house. Like, you know, through the entire COVID experience, the only medicine I took was maybe Advil three, four times just to get like a fever down or something. But I believe in like punishing illness with steam, with heat, ginger, spinach, blueberries, all these good things, antioxidants, push your body to the to the limit. Things that would make normal people shit their pants. Yeah. Like that's what you got to do to heal up. You know, don't give me your don't give me your drugs. Well, you want to know what segment is like an Epsom salt bath every single week, Ben? I got, I got a nice one today. Let's go. It's this day music history. <laughs> what do you got? I like. I went for positive. Okay, I love it to bring people together on today's this day. So, in on this day in 1962, mm-hmm. Angulo. I hope I'm Angulo. Angulo. I hope I'm pronouncing it right was a Cuban student who was attending Manhattan School of Music, uh, a burgeoning composer. And he was at the Folk Festival of the Catskills mm-hmm. at Camp Woodland in Phoenicia, New York. I've spent a little time in Phoenicia, New York. Beautiful place. And he plays the famous Cuban folk song, uh, Guantanamera, for Pete Seeger. And uh, Angulo, the person who played it, was working as a counselor at the camp for the summer, played this song for Pete Seeger. Pete Seeger learned the song, added it to his repertoire, and brought it to American audiences. He uh, did more than learn it. He played it live at uh, Carnegie Hall. He recorded it to an album. He taught U.S. audiences to sing it. It got picked up by the Sandpipers who recorded it, and it went as a top 10 hit three Grammys was released on five continents, you know, which in the sixties was the equivalent of going viral. And then it's, you know, been recorded by Celia Cruz, Jackson Brown, Los Lobos, Pitbull, the Fugees, Wyclef. It's co-opted into soccer stadiums as, uh, you know, uh, an anthem song. It's been put in Swedish recycling commercials, uh, 
And on top of that, you know, the the song is about, you know, the it's a, a tale of love and a, a almost a political song from Cuba in the 20s and 30s named Guantanamera, which has a very interesting context considering Guantanamo Bay and the things there. Uh, so this is a deep, deep cut. I never heard about this. And I love how the way this song uh, passed into a larger cultural narrative was by a camp counselor randomly playing it for Pete Seeger in the Catskills, nonetheless. So pretty cool. Well, you know what they say about the entertainment business, Benny? What do they say? Everything starts in the Catskills. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> it all starts in the Borscht Belt, baby. <laughs> You know um, how many how many deals have been brokered over a crispy blintz? <laughs> oh man, I just picture like there's like a alternate multiverse where like Gaslight got their start playing like the like the camps up in like the Catskills and just doing that circuit. Just open for Merv Griffin for years. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the scene. I love it. All right, Benny. Well. Not not to bring down the mood entirely. We go from some dirty dancing talk, but I'm going to talk about John Lennon and a tragic event in John Lennon's life today. So on this day in 1958, John Lennon's mother, Julia, was killed in a car crash. Um, she was hit by a off-duty drunken police officer. Um, Lennon was 17 years old at the time when this happened. And this kind of got me thinking, you know, what... I kind of wonder what version of John Lennon we get if he didn't have this grief when he was so young, because I think specifically when you're young and you go through kind of a tragic event like this, um, I'm not saying it propels creativity, but there's definitely more inside of you that you need to get out. So that's really interesting. I never knew about that. And especially the age you're talking about, because, you know, I don't know how much we could sit here and and talk about how much it fueled his desire to play rock and roll or not. Like, who knows the family dynamics and stuff like that. But the idea that at 17 years old, suffering a loss like that doesn't inform your worldview and your lyrics and your politics and your spirituality, you know, especially like. You know, that's the time in your life you would be going on some kind of journey trying to find those things anyway. So put that into the mix and the Beatles. And I mean, honestly, that's kind of makes it, it's it's sad to say, but it kind of makes a lot of sense with the chronology of what you're talking about. You know, yeah. um, someone who suffers a loss like that would have the I mean, a lot of people have it, but it could help, as you said fuel the capacity to to have such a run that like the Beatles had. It's definitely got to play a part. It's really interesting. Yeah. And like, especially the later stuff, because that stuff just kind of grows and you get into that like era later, you know, where um with like Yoko and and everything like that. So, yeah, uh, this day, 1958, uh, kind of altered the tra trajectory of everything. I mean, even something as simple as, you know, and I can say this anecdotally like when you're at that age uh sometimes it it helps to want to run away from home if you want to be a professional musician <laughs> and like uh you know if your situation at home feels really great that prevents a lot of people from being professional musicians yes. so it can also drive you the fuck out of your town and out of your country and be like, get me out of here. Like, take me anywhere besides here. So you really, really could have played a big part in all of it. Yeah. All right, Benny. <clears throat> so first headline today, if there is one topic we've talked about in the past year, probably more than any, it's interpolation. I know. And we're starting to see, you know, we talked a lot about the sale of catalogs and, and everything. And I'm not sure if the artists we're talking about today, uh, the original artists sold their catalog. But today... We have a new album drop from Lizzo. Um, and normally on this program, we don't exactly talk about album drops. That's not exactly our bag. But we do talk about them when a, a highly popular artist dabbles in interpolation. And that's just what Lizzo has done. Um, on this album, she has a song called Break Up Twice, where the chorus straight up that it, it she straight up goes at uh, Lauren Hill's That Thing and pretty much makes it her chorus in that song. So a um, lot to break down here. I'm, I'm kind of surprised to see such a popular artist uh, take such a popular song and kind of be like, hey, 
Uh, I'm just going to quote, pay tribute. Um, super fine line here. So, Benny, I got to a- ask this question to you like this. Um, for interpolation, you know, we talk a lot with basketball about legacy and stuff like that. We famously had KD tweet this week, what have you done to today to impact your legacy? Uh, should an artist get docked in their legacy if they in- interpolate somebody else's chorus? Yeah, so many fine lines to this. Yeah. At first, when you wrote this, I like I like the docking system. Okay, I like the idea, and I think it might have to become a necessary part of music in separating what is produced to consume on a major level using all the tools necessary and things that are just coming from the artist. You know, because it's been years and years now that I've been looking at pop tracks you know, looking at the info for these tracks and seeing 15, 20 random songwriters and beat creators and all these people involved in the tracks and the person in front of it, I I never know how much their opinion even informed the song or not, or if a bunch of people just took their lyrics and, you know, ran with it and made a hit. So, like, Lizzo is somebody I... Uh, appreciate as an artist and I know has something to say and has a lot to do with her own music. So in this case, I give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, but the thing that is really fascinating to me about this and something like you said, we've covered all year is did she pay for this or not? You know, like that's the interesting thing that's happening now is like back in the day, in order to use this, you would have have you would have had to go to Lauren Hill's people, the label. You would have have to been granted access to use it, and also negotiated a price in which to use it. Mm. Now, with everything we've been talking about, and these random groups you don't know who they are, and these hedge funds scooping up licenses and publishing and buying old labels and sending artists uh you know into houses with with 12 hits that they're allowed to chop up as much as they want like i don't know if lauren hill lost her publishing you know i know she had like legal problems like literally she might have gotten her publishing taken away someone else owns it put it under an umbrella of a label or something like that and that's why lizzo got to use it and use it freely in this track so that's a really interesting part of this that I, I don't know the answer to. Oh. Um, now, one thing I think people like me and you need to consider, yeah. even though you are, you know, you trend young on right. this program, at least. Thank you. You're, you're the young side of this program. Not but fair. I'm looking at the YouTube comments of, you know, this Lizzo song. No one gives a shit, man. Like, I literally like, it's about 25, you know, and YouTube comments are ranked accordingly, like the things people care about are higher. And uh, the first one I saw was like, oh, I like that nod to Lauren Hill in the middle. Not like, yo, someone bit Lauren Hill shit. Or like most people, I got to say, didn't even notice, man, mm. because it's a hit from a long time ago. Like, think about when you were 17 years old. Did you like know every contemporary hit that came out 25 years before that? You know, literally like like that would have been me knowing like every single number one song that came out in like 1971. Yeah. You know, I didn't know the Steely Dan song that was on number three. I didn't know, you know. So literally for for Lizzo's crowd, they don't care either. They don't hold Lauren Hill in the same, you know, tear that we do we don't they don't know that song like i heard that chorus and i went oh yeah i know that track you know but i don't think most people had that reaction at this point it's funny because i i believe that this is the second time it's kind of been bitten uh you know drake kind of took the beat for that song a few years ago now lizzo's doing this thing though i i do have to say there uh, Lauren Hill does have a writing credit on the track. That's the cool thing about oh, okay. right now. You can go in there and you can see like who's got the writing credit. So Lauren hey. Hill has a writing credit in there. So I, I'd assume that some money is coming back her way. Yeah. And that even means even better. Like, who knows? Maybe Lizzo and Lauren Hill 
know each other yeah you know maybe this was a like i love this track i see you backstage go ahead and use it maybe it's something awesome and artistic and cool it does still happen every once in a while i love it the oddity the new jersey the cynic in us wants to be like oh she bit her off she's getting no money i know i know of course oh man all right well do you want to talk about a benny for our next story today I love whenever this guy comes up on the podcast. I know you do. You know it fires me up. Because you get all... Benny, Don Henley's back in the news as a curator for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, by the name of uh, Craig Inciardi. I'm going to assume that there's that that name's Italian there. Um, Along with Glenn Horowitz, Edward Kosnicki, Boy, I'm watching these names today. Dude, um, this is this is like the New York, New Jersey yeah. mishmash of last names. That's somehow you got, a, you got a a pole, a Jew, and an Italian. Of course, it's like a joke, the start of a joke. That somehow right. ended up in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. Um, is being charged with conspiracy to allegedly sell more than one million dollars worth in stolen lyrics and handwritten notes by Eagles drummer and co-vocalist Don Henley. Uh, this goes back to the '70s, um, but it kind of. Uh, became more pronounced and more popular in in 2005 uh, when some of these notes and handwritten things mementos uh, were passed along by a biographer um sent in that time um they've tried to sell it including back to don henley himself uh which is like that's just a bold move to kind of like take something and then try to sell it back to somebody uh love the hustle but uh, some of these handwritten lyrics were to a hotel california life in the fast lane new kid in town uh so um lot lot happening here uh it's so it's kind of interesting to me because it's like why do we value these things right it's probably like like uh, like the lyrics to hotel california written on like a napkin from like the polo lounge at the beverly hills hotel and he's trying to make all of this money off of this so is this a big deal benny it doesn't feel like a big deal but is it a big deal i think it is a big deal and even to answer your first question like what is value Hmm. value is what people are willing to pay for something that's it you know what i mean i think like you know you saw the banksy documentary you you put a banksy on the street without his name on it it's worth 50 bucks you know if this uh song is written by some lady in a cafe in austin texas 12 years ago the exact same lyrics yeah never existed in the world before doesn't matter because no one cares and nobody wants it. This is like an international smash hit song that people will forever, forever in the the history of rock, will want to know the origins of this song, where it came from, how it came to pass, because that's the fascinating part of music. It's not just like, oh, I love listening to this. It's like, how did someone do this? How did someone make this? You know, it's the reason I still love film is like I watch gangs in New York and I'm like, how does someone even go about doing this and taking me on this journey? I have no idea. And I love it. I love I want to stay on this ride. And music's ruined for me because I know, you know, how the pancake batter is made. So it is valuable and it is fucking cool. Honestly, like these are the types of things I walk into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and I want to see. I want to see that it's it's memorabilia, and, and honestly, I do think it has value. I do think it's cool. Um, as you know, <laughs> I'm no Don Henley fan. He's notoriously got bad story after bad story after bad story, and then it was polished off by him reprimanding me and Alex Rosamilia from Gaslight. I have a, a direct story from Don Henley being a tight ass. Okay, so this guy is notoriously a tight ass hasn't treated people right, whatever. Like, uh, you know, welcome to the club for the history of music. You dig into your favorite artists enough, you're not going to want to fucking listen to anyone, it seems like. So I don't like standing up for Don Henley. But I got to say, in this instance, like, he lost this stuff, didn't know it was around anymore. Who knows what kind of drug-riddled fucking person lost it in the 70s. But in 2005, like, finds out this stuff exists still. And is like, oh, shit, like, that's, like, I kind of want this back, and and it's mine. And this is where I like to separate law from what's just actually right and wrong. You know, and regardless of how these people came to get this, 
you know, legal, not legal, whatever dubious collector stuff happened to make this like legitimate or not. The dude wrote the shit. It's his handwriting, his pen, his words, the whole deal. It's his. Like you lost this one, fellas. You know, in 2005, you, you needed to figure something out with the person who made this. So in this case, you know, uh, like they needed to consider this a wash. Like I have this very valuable thing. Somebody wants it back. They're still alive. It's kind of up to them for now. They fought it. They tried to get cute and they got fucked. And and in this case, like I think they deserve it. Like I uh, give the guy his shit back. You know what I kind of wanted to happen here? And this never would have happened. Don Henley doesn't seem that kind of guy. I kind of wanted like an OJ situation where like <laughs> we're going after into their house and be like, give me that back. The lyrics of Hotel California. Yeah. And honestly, man, I've recently had some experience with these like high end kind of collectible music autograph sports dealers. It's shady fucking business, man, especially around here. Like. Like, I don't know, types of people who fall into a business like that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like it's like one step above being like a really, really good pot dealer. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, yeah. And then the guy tried to sell me crypto the next week. It's all it's same <laughs> shit. It's same shit. It is. It's Ponzi scheme type people who like get into this shit. It is. I love it. I love it. The movie, the the movie about this directed by Scorsese is going to be awesome. Yeah. But uh, um. All right, Benny, let's get into some Emmy nominations, shall we? Let, let's move uh, uh, from out, out of uh, the sausage being made that you know into the television. Uh, so we had the Emmy nominations come out this week. Uh, Succession, the HBO drama, led all nominations for the 2022 awards. Um, but the big thing now, and we always talk about the business of commerce and uh, everything like that, uh, HBO picked up uh, a they. For a long time here, Netflix was biting at their heels, overtaking them for the total number of nominations. Uh, HBO took back the crown this year. Um, so good stuff here. Um, but uh, I want to know, Benny, yeah. of, uh, of shows like Succession, Hacks, Only Murders in the Building, Euphoria, Barry, Dope Sick. Uh, and these are these are just like the top ones. Pam and yeah. Tom even got 10, 10 nominations. <laughs> Come on. Which one of these shows... Are you the biggest fan? Well, I got to say, I think Euphoria really deserves some love in this round, particularly Zendaya's character. I mean, like, I'm looking for a cultural impact type of thing there. And and it, it was just huge. It was one of those things that kind of kind of ran over everything. Um, and even though out of all the things nominated this year, I, I loved Severance. Mm. Big fan. Really thought it was great. Um, so as far as like best drama series goes, I would go for severance, but I have a feeling in sort of a swan song type of deal, better call Saul is going to get it. Um, because of, I believe this is the, the known last season, right? Yeah. So, so I think they might give a nod there. Um, as far as actor in the series, I, I think Bob Odenkirk might get it for the same exact reason. Um, so so I, I'm kind of going heavy on severance there. And the other thing that I care about that I think is important is, in, you know, I love comedy. Yeah. And, you know, Ted Lasso swept everything last year and it was great. Like oh. Ted Lasso is an incredible show. But I do think there was a, you know, in where season one towed the line of of sentiment and being corny just right. You know what I mean? Where they just tap the line to corny where you're like, it's just enough corny and I'm still safe. Season two went over a bunch of times for me. Yeah. It jumped. And the start. Yeah. It did. It did. And I really think Barry got much better and Bill mm -hmm. Hader got much better. Um, so I'm really thinking Barry should, should do a lot in the, in the comedy series this year more so than ted lasso yeah. and uh i don't know if you've seen it marvelous miss mazel is is really a great show and really super well done and very well acted and uh what's her name rachel no, brosnahan brosnahan yeah. she's fantastic on that show like literally 
carries the whole thing. So a lot of love for that too. What's going on with the the Wire series? Why why wasn't we own this city anywhere on there? Oh, you know, I, I think that may have been one of those ones that came in too late. Late game? Late yeah, because yeah. there are a bunch of those, like, you know, like the bear just hit FX. I, I talked right, about right. that last week. Some some really good stuff there. Uh, you know, it's fine. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. This last season, not as good as the other ones. Okay, okay. The, they're just not progressing the plot, but people that vote for this don't really care about that. Uh, Severance, love that. Uh, Ozark, fare, farewell season. Um, it's kind of funny, you know, we talked about Julia Garner and the Madonna pick. Uh, she's nominated for two roles, Ozark and uh, in- Inventing Anna. Uh, so she's <laughs> be going up against herself there. Your favorite. Um, and then it's going to be, uh, uh, I know a lot of people in like, TV circles have talked about Dopesick. Just in the quintessential Michael Keaton role. Just like him just out here crushing the game like always. Um, dude, loved Hacks. HBO show? Yeah, uh, okay. I didn't I didn't I didn't do hacks. Does this deserve some love? 100 percent And only murders in the building. I hear it, it's great, but honestly, I have a really hard time with Martin Short, dude. I like I can't like I want I, I want to be a Martin Short fan. It's just a huge struggle for me. I got to be honest. In the last, I think it was even like sort of a COVID wormhole that happened. You know, my my YouTube viewing is purely, uh, you know, less than five minute bits of comedy from random things. Like that's what I want on YouTube. And I recently rediscovered old interviews of Jiminy Glick. Oh. And good God, that is fucking funny shit, dude. <laughs> It is some next level in character parody stuff that just does not get enough credit. Like, like I watched that and I'm like, oh, like there's no Ali G. There's no uh, uh, between two ferns. Like all this stuff seems like it was kind of inspired by Jiminy Glick. So I got to give Martin Short a, a late, late nod for those interviews he was doing with that. Oh my God. They're insane. Yeah. Do yourself a favor and go. No, I'm, I'm, I'm well versed in, in Jiminy Glick. I get it, but man, it's like, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, we he's talk, a lot. He's a lot. We talk a lot about, you know, like KD Kyrie and like, like the power <laughs> dynamics here. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Martin's been dragging his ass. Oh. <laughs> you know what? It, I mean, in a way, like it's partially true where like, you know, Steve Martin for some, he needs to drive the vehicle, but, yeah. but not all just like in your basketball reference, like not all, uh, basketball players should be driving the team. Not all actors should be driving the vehicle. Steve Martin is a leading person. You know, he's, he's, you can put him ahead of anything. He knows what to do. Martin short, not so much. He's like, uh, he, he needs, he's like, he's like your six man coming off the bench like you're Jordan Clarkson. You're just letting him go in there and go nuts for 15 minutes. No rules. And then you're out, you know, but you don't want him in there for 35 minutes a night. You know, he's like, you're, it was a Donovan Mitchell type. I don't understand why I do this to myself. I, I take these big swings against legends and then bite me in the ass. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why you're swinging against Marty Shore here. It's a tough it, one. That's like, tough I'm not going to win that one. I know. No. I know that's a bad take. Just go anyway. watch three amigos, you know? Oh. <laughs> now, Chevy Chase, if there's somebody that I want to take swings, no, I'm not. Now, if you want to do yourself a favor, watch the Jiminy Glick interview with Chevy Chase. <laughs> Fucking funny. Okay. <laughs> Oh, all right. Let's let's transition back to the house a little bit, Ben. Uh, the NBA offseason has been in full swing. Um, and on Thursday night, the Phoenix Suns matched the Indiana Pacers four-year, $133 million offer sheet for, for – boy, what a tongue twister that always is. Offer sheet. Uh, they matched the offer sheet for restricted free agent DeAndre Ayton, clearing the way for him to return to the franchise. So big news, right? Um, but the interesting thing is Phoenix showed no in- indication in, in doing a sign-and-trade for Ayton back to Indiana, um, which is interesting because now that they've signed in, Ayton becomes a, a bigger piece, or um, you know, people thought he was going to be the bigger piece here. Uh, but the Suns cannot trade in until January 15th, meaning that if the Suns were going to get in on a Kevin Durant deal, Donovan Mitchell deal, Aiton is no longer available. So mm-hmm. uh, back to the deal, though, Benny, roughly $30 million a year for DeAndre Aiton. How are you feeling about that? 
I feel okay. It, it, it's the same kind of deal to me, like like you're looking at with like Anthony Simons or Jalen Brunson. There's like sticker shock, you know. Like if you want to get these guys extended at 23, 24, 25 years old, with still potential upside and the CBA going up and all this, like it's okay. And you know, when you told me DeAndre Ayton at like 25 a year, I'm very comfortable. 30 a year, I'm mostly comfortable. 35 a year, you know, like it's fishy. Yeah. And that contract could hurt or sting a little bit if these don't go the right way. But it's what it costs. Uh, I love the Pacers taking the swing they made, putting the pedal to the metal and really testing the suns there. I thought that was a good move. You got to love the Pacers offseason so far and the way they're handling things. But I think this case... You know, and the Suns probably knew it the entire time. Uh, was it's just too valuable? Yeah, it's a number one pick just from a few years back. He's in his early twenties. Uh, has has made some serious runs and dents in the playoffs already. Uh, has more upside, particularly on the offensive end. Like DeAndre Ayton's got soft hands. Like the the idea that I could see him in his late twenties really developing a Nice, soft mid-range game, some some stuff like that. Like he finishes well, it's possible. Even he's the type of guy I could see uh, eventually managing to get out by the three-point line because because he has that kind of touch. So um, I think that's what you're looking at here. And and it that I guess with the current situation, as you said, it just completely changes the dynamic of how we're going into this season because now. You know, most of these trade offers I see and packages like Aiton's got to be in it to make it valuable enough for a team like the Nets to move, maybe a team like the Jazz to move. So I think, you know, this is another indication to me that you might see the start of the season with with Kevin Durant still in Brooklyn and Aiton in Phoenix and, you know, the whole crew. And on top of that, Aiton, uh, you know, can't be traded till mid January, but also has a no trade opt out for the entire season. So, you know, like now he's got to say over his own path for this year. And um, yeah, it definitely changes the dynamic, but Phoenix did what they had to do. I know they've historically said that we don't value the center position enough to pay for it, <clears throat> but you can't just let an asset like that walk, walk scot-free. It's just bad business. So I think that's what happened there. I don't understand how, how you can say that you don't value the center position enough when one of one of the top three guys in the game is admittedly a, a center. Like yeah. if, if Monty Williams works DeAndre Ayton the right way, he could work his way into listen, I'm not gonna say he's Giannis because I think Giannis is one on one unicorn, but something close that can give teams a problem. And Rick Car Carlisle and the Indiana Pacers saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you see this kind of upside. It, it, you know, I, I, when you're far away from the Aiton situation like us, he seems to be a person who needs the right type of motivation and the right type of, you know, scenario to to um to thrive. And I think you're seeing like the two, three year Chris Paul. I'm not sure about this guy anymore kind of thing happening, which seems to happen a lot to Chris Paul. Mm. Like, I think people really appreciate him at first. You get in there, you clean up the organization. The offense is running right now. Like, good, cool. Thanks, dude. Thanks for being tough. But after like two, three years, I think it wears on people. And, yeah. you know, like eventually they're like, yeah, you know. So I don't know. Is this an indication that the Suns back off Chris Paul a little bit? I don't know. There's going to be the day to have the Chris Paul conversation, it's but coming. just listen, the way that the Phoenix Suns operate their organization and, and you have a championship window. DeAndre Ian has shown that he's a championship kind of player. Yeah. It shouldn't have become this public spectacle that it's become, but uh, Robert Sarvar just is like, I don't know whether it's like, he wants like he wants all of the clout of being an, an NBA owner without putting in like the brass tax and investing in the community. But it's just strange when you have a guy like that, how Indiana even comes within 48 hours of having him for free. Yeah. Yeah. It came too close. And I mean, you know, 
And and how much can you believe that shit anyway? Do you really not value the center position? You you fucking chose a center over Luka Doncic. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're fucking better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like a little bit. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you know what team is valuing the guard position like a lot, a lot. Uh, and that's the Miami Heat and the New York <laughs> Knicks. Uh, so since last week when we talked, Donovan Mitchell appears to be on his way out of Utah. Um, there are a lot of teams that are in on Donovan Mitchell services. Um, but Danny Ainge and the New York Knicks are having an interesting two-way tango right now. Mm-hmm. Um, according to Tony Jones of The Athletic, Utah offered uh, Mitchell to New York for not one, not two, not three, but six future first round picks, which is just, that's its own question in and of itself. Uh, plus Quentin Grimes, Emmanuel quickly, Obi Toppin and Miles McBride. But the Knicks were like, nah, 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 we're not doing that. Cause that's giving away the future of your franchise. Rightly so. But Benny, I got to ask, it's been a strange off season past few off seasons for changing picks, but specifically this off season, um, what you used to be able to get for like three first round picks now costs four five or six. What's happening here? Well, I think it's the protection scenario, Mm. you know, like back in the day, uh, no picks were protected. So, so two, three picks were these like meaty, if this team sucks, we're golden picks and they did mean more, but now with these extensions and protections and I folded over to this year and this year and top 10, top 12, top 14, like, I don't even know what these picks are sometimes until the draft comes and someone explains it to me because it's getting so confusing. So I think that is a big part of the reason why the number has gone from two to three to five to six to seven and all that for sure. Um, as far as the Knicks are concerned here and what they should do, here's two things I'm certain of going into this, okay? Yeah. One is that the Jazz are finally doing what they should be doing complete fucking tear down. You know what I mean? Like you just got rid of Gobert. You just got rid of Snyder. Like why keep Donovan Mitchell right now? You know, why keep this, this potentially, you know, really strong asset who can get you a lot. You know, you're in the Victor Wembignana sweepstakes anyway, next year. Mitchell hurts that. Um, You know, that's even part of the reason I can see the Suns. Uh, excuse me, the Nets not being a part of this deal because, uh, you know, the Nets could not roster Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons at the same time. And Ben Simmons going back to the Jazz kind of fucks up their plan of just being totally awful. Um, So, you know, there's a lot to play there. The Jazz are in official, official teardown mode. And I don't expect Donovan Mitchell to be there anymore. When it happens, I'm not sure. But and so if there's anything I'm certain of is Danny Ainge is doing the right thing. Like Mm. you don't want to meddle around with Donovan Mitchell for the next few years and try to rebuild. He's not good enough to do that around. That leads to question number two and what me and you were texting about. And I think that is the polarizing thing here is the people who do or do not believe that Donovan Mitchell is the best player on a championship team. I don't believe that. I think Donovan Mitchell is in a very good but secondary tier of player where he needs a, a counterpart, a very strong counterpart equal to or greater than him to win a championship. Does that exist in New York right now? Like, like, do I see a, a, a team of Brunson, Barrett, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson cracking through the Bucks, the Celtics, the cream of the crop in the East. I don't know. So that's, I think that's the big question is I, I think the assets you have to give up to get someone like Donovan Mitchell, it's just the name of the game these days. He's a top 20, 25 player. He's had some explosive playoff performances where I'm like, you know, you could just give this guy the ball in the fourth quarter for any team and he can just go. Mm. And the championship team needs that. I'm not saying he's not necessary. I just don't think he can be the guy. So when you put it into the Knicks scenario, do I forfeit the future for that? 
I don't mind the Knicks forfeiting the future and going for it right now. Fuck it. Like a lot of teams do it. You should try. But do I do it for that? I don't know. I don't know. But when do the Knicks have a chance? This could be the first step for the Knicks. You know what I mean? If you bring in Donovan Mitchell and maybe don't give the mega extension to RJ Barrett or something and and then try to draw in somebody for the next season, that makes a little more sense to me than trying to build the championship team around Mitchell himself. I mean, he's 26. He's got a few more years left locked in if you make this trade. Uh, for a team like the Knicks, it makes a lot of sense. But it, it's interesting that you brought up the, um, you know, you don't think he's the best player on a championship team and that he needs a a Batman, so to speak, to kind of usher him into that. Um, I'm curious why Portland isn't in the mix or if they're in the mix, why it's not being talked about because you already just extended Dame. He's making crazy money into his mm-hmm. late 30s. Good for him. But he's going to need some help there. So it's like you got rid of McCollum. You have some assets there that you could put yeah. together a, a package for. Um, so it'd be interesting to see now with uh, how Phoenix being out, out of the way, how that would affect any sort of Miami deal. All right, um, so what's, what's Portland give? Portland gives up Simons. Simons got to give up Simons. You got Nert, what do you right? give up? Yeah, maybe Nert, like you got to give up some of the maybe a shade and sharp. You got to put in a couple because they don't have picks anymore. Yeah, so you got to put all those. Right. You know, are you putting the sear littles and shade and sharps and your all your depth in there? And is that enough? I don't think that's enough. It might not be enough. I think that that's the problem going to Portland. Here's one I heard Zach Lowe talk about that I kind of like if you yeah. can pull it off. What about Cleveland? Okay. Taking a stab, you package Levert, Okoro, Markinen. You got salary there. Maybe you toss in the kid from Kansas you just picked to sweeten mm. the pot. A million picks. And then all of a sudden, you got Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty okay. nice. Okay. Okay. Like you start giving me that team with a couple complimentary pieces i'm interested yeah so uh that was the one that came out of nowhere that uh, i think low brought it up and i'm like eh, i like but that one i like the, that one. the problem with that though is if you were dealing with any other gm or president of basketball yeah. i'd be like cool but it's danny ainge and he's gonna want like evan mobley and just be completely unreasonable for what donovan mitchell is in this league yeah 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 probably and yeah, you know, and that's where he's right on the border of being able to do that. I think Donovan Mitchell is like a three-time All-Star. You know, he's he's on the cusp of you know your top twenty players. Like, it's not like you make that pitch and you sound totally ridiculous. You know, he's close enough to be able to make that pitch. A lot of interesting things happening r- right now. Uh, some some minor uh, moves in the past week. Anything that you particularly loved? that's happened in like the past week. Yeah, dude, I, I can't, I couldn't love the nuggets off season anymore. Like, you know, I, I don't like losing Monty Morris. I think that was the piece that went to the wizards. That's being a little like undervalued, you know, like that's a, that's a proper starting point guard in the NBA, you know, maybe a little better suited off the bench, but a good player, but KCP not only goes there, he just, extended for two years, $30 million. And I think now with, with that, with Bruce Brown uh, and, and Jamal Murray coming back, like all of a sudden the nuggets, like you put this on paper, they not only have a good team, they have a very good team with no question marks after this season. You know what I mean? Everyone's locked up. This is the team. This is the unit coaches set. Like, like I feel like the Nuggets are in full like locked and loaded mode now, and uh, you know especially losing Tim Connolly to Minnesota, you thought that maybe their leadership was going to be a little shaky. No, they locked it down. They added some pieces, uh, and then the interesting reports coming out uh, uh, next year, Jamal Murray, um, the the beginning of the season, he's not going to be a, a every night kind of guy which they're probably one of the few teams that can handle not having a, right. a major star like that out there because yeah. they got the MVP. Um, probably the postseason, he'll be back up, up and running. Yeah, yeah, reports out of Denver indicating that he's going to be like a couple times a week guy rather than an every night guy. And 
we got to talk a little. I'm just going to report a little from Summer League, okay? okay. You know I'm watching because I'm a fucking nerd. <laughs> and if there's one thing, there's two things that are coming through to me about Summer League right now is A, they got the draft right, which to me yeah. is Paolo and Chet clearly have a higher upside to me than Smith. I think they, Orlando and OKC were both very smart. I like, I really like watching his game and, and I think he could be a very good NBA player. I'm not trying to take away from Smith here, but watching Paolo and Chet in the first two, three games is one of those summer league things where you're like, Oh, okay, this is real. I know summer league doesn't mean that much, but there are elements of this that are very real. These guys are here and they're ready to go off the bat. And I think OKC should be very excited about this uh, burgeoning love affair between Josh Giddy and <laughs> Chet Holmgren, because that that's ex- should be exciting for them. Now, reporting from the Nets Summer League, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that I think, you know, has been lost in a shuffle is Sean Mark's ability to kind of find diamonds in the rough a little bit, and he's very good at it. Mm-hmm. And if this Summer League is any indication, they're not toying around in the Summer League this year. They have five guys they're primarily focusing on in Summer League, which is Dayron Sharp, Cam Thomas, David Duke Jr., Kessler, uh, Kessler Edwards, and um, uh, one other person that's, that's yeah. escaping my mind right now. And what I love about this is like the Nets are solidifying uh, a real like hardcore B group that most of them they drafted or picked up in the last year or two. These guys have played together a lot and they have this like behind the scenes core that's I think stronger than people realize uh going on there. So so there is a little optimism to me coming out of Nets world as far as like even though all this crazy stuff is going on at the top, there's like nice solid stuff going on below the surface a little bit. Kim Thomas was cooking the other day. You know, I watched that Bucks game because I got to see uh, Pharrell Jr., a.k.a. Marjan Bochamp, go <laughs> off. Uh, Boy. Dude, I can't believe, number one, he has to be the oldest-looking 21-year-old, 22-year-old I've ever seen. How does he look older than Pharrell? He's yeah, got some Greg Oden shit going on there, for sure. Yeah, But, uh, no, I had a, a question for you real quick before we get out of here about Chet Holmgren. Because, yeah, man, you see the game, you see he is an absolute killer. But, dude, you're meaning to tell me this guy's going to play over 60 games a year? Forget about it. Like, do you see this body? It's going to hold up over an NBA schedule? I, you know what? Like, I, I honestly got to say, I think it's a little overblown hmm. as far as his health is concerned. Like, like, I have no indication to tell me that a skinny body is going to get hurt. The one thing that became really obvious you know, within what 40 minutes of summer league is Chet Holmgren. It cannot be an interior uh, presence in a rebounding sense for a while yet. And maybe he won't because of his size. Like there are some dudes in the NBA that can just toss this motherfucker around. Okay. So I don't want him fighting for a position down low in this. I want him flying around you know like like with that wingspan you can manage to be an interior presence and fuck with people's shots and stuff like that without having to to body up and do some crazy shit so i think they're gonna need somebody on that team like whenever okc tries to advance to the next level of trying to be a real team they're probably gonna have to add a piece like that almost in a what what minnesota just tried to do you know like like Cat Towns needs he needs someone down low to help him out. And, you know, Holmgren's probably going to be the same. But are you watching this fucking like 19 year old seven foot two kid work that ball up the floor yeah. like a fucking point guard and moving it? Or I mean, God, man, like the, the sky is the limit for what you can do with that, particularly on offense. I mean, it's it's really interesting. You know, uh, I take all of it back because okay. I came in. 
I've, I've, I've seen the entire Giannis thing. He came in not quite that skinny, but like not a version of, yeah. of, of that skinny. And, you, you know, you get put in the right program, the right diet. Anything's possible. He Like, the skill set's there. It just is like, is he going to become Giannis or is he going to become Henry Ellenson? Who knows? Yeah, cool. and I mean, and body-wise, like, you know, I I think it's a much closer comp to, to Kevin Durant. Um, this guy's skinny, man. He's skinny as fuck. He's not going to look like Giannis. Like, Giannis was like some, some like, wet piece of clay at that point. <laughs> he could just be molded you know he and he had this as you saw his older brother you're like oh okay these these boys are big like they they got some meat to put on you know from everything of the home grins he's got a seven foot tall skinny as fuck dad um you know like like this is just these guys it's just might be what he looks like but it's also i don't think it's like uh an absolute curse for your health in the nba i think it just might be a curse for the way you can play you know, chat, no sugar, no beer. <laughs> yeah, Lock it away. in. Stay awake, kid. Come on. You got to eat those lentils or something. All right. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune podcast at gmail.com. We've been live on YouTube, Twitch, subscribe, get involved in, in the party. Thank you to everybody that joined us today. Nice. We see you. Thank you for getting the, we got the Donovan Mitchell talk in. Um, so, Get at us on all the social platforms at TuneUp HQ, wherever you get it. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, we're there. Uh, Benny's on Instagram. He's not on Twitter. Uh, but, hey, follow him at Benny Horowitz. And there's no number, so there's nothing to play That's there. It. That's it, me. That's Benny, me now. You got anything else? Yeah, you want to know what I have to say now? What Listen to my fucking podcast, because it's not coming on social media. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Oh, that's that that's great. That that makes me feel great. The, the advertising's there. And yeah, the show is ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to the tune up. <laughs>